Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here we go, Dina. Yo, yo. Welcome back, everybody. How's everyone doing? So good. Good to be back. Happy Tuesday. Another pod. Another pod on a Tuesday, yeah. What's going on this week, Dean? Well, this week, uh, we've got a pretty good guest lined up. Yes. Like a very, very powerful story. Um, Incredible human being. And um, yeah, just someone who really lives her values identifies like what actions need to be taken and kind of like almost well she definitely counts the cost and moves forward with like her action yes a fearless a fearless leader someone giving voice for the voiceless Mm -hmm. the one the only amy serrano wow yes some of you may know her she is uh well known for her animal rights activism in Canada, in the Lower Mainland for sure, and most recently, very well known um, as part of the Excelsior Four. Tell us about the Excelsior Four, Dean. Yeah, the Excelsior Four is a group of four people who went into the Excelsior Hog Farm out in the Fraser Valley here in uh, British Columbia to expose the goings-on inside uh, one of these farms, which, you know, as she talks about in the podcast, was one of the kind of, uh, it was touted as one of the best in terms of practices and procedures and everything of these of these hog farms. And so they went in with cameras and recorded footage there. And as she tells a story like that is a great big no-no and got herself and three other people um, in hot water and in quite uh, significant legal trouble and so the excelsior 4 is a website you can check out excelsior the number four dot org uh it's got their story um information but uh, we should say that just recently towards the uh the end of april um one of the four jeffrey gear had his charges stayed which is like just basically means that the judge determines 
um, it's not worth it or it's not, uh, there's not enough evidence or something to like go forward with the case. So they don't presume innocence or guilt. They just simply don't move forward with the per- the prosecution. Um, so he, he, yeah, well, he's basically like off, off the hook, free. <laughs> and the other three are still pending. And so, you know, we won't spoil anything. Listen, listen to the episode to hear, you know, in term from Amy's words, like what, uh, what she's up against, but it is no, um, no small hill to climb for sure in terms of in terms of not only the court case but potentially um, jail time that she might see, which is which is wild. And Amy's court case is coming up; it's right around the corner, I believe, um, and end of June. Yeah, uh, it is coming up. Actually, let me just see on their website if they have it updated. Well, Dean's looking. Just go, go and give Amy a follow, Amy Serrano, Serrano on Instagram. Uh, she's she's sharing all the things that you need to know, how you can support. Um, it's not there on the website. It's difficult to see, and actually, that's part of the part of the conversation too. Is the publication ban? Yes. Right. So, in terms of stuff going al- around the trial, and certainly anything going on within it, there there is a publication ban. Um, and so, yeah, the last updates are. F- from May. So I don't know how much we can know in advance. It's more after the fact. And, and even that is, uh, it's kind of dictated by the court itself, what can be said and what can be talked about. So, so I guess best to follow Amy on Instagram, uh, and, and check the Excelsior for website for, for updates. Yeah. It will be coming up soon. Um, so we do ask, uh, you know, please do what you can to support Amy and the Excelsior three. Uh, because they are champions for the voiceless, for for the animals that have no voice, um, that are often the ones being abused and and you know without rights or or anyone really speaking up for them or standing up for them. So that's right. She just mentioned here recently on her Instagram, uh, the first day of the trial is slated to be June twenty seventh, and that is also um, when the publication ban may be lifted. Okay. But they may, it may, I think it just expires and then they may uh, issue a new one. So, but yeah, definitely uh, for the most up to date kind of real time information, Amy Serrano on Instagram is going to be your, your best place to find her and follow her and, and stay up to date. But it's pretty wild. It's a pretty wild um, reality. And she gets into it on the pod. So we won't spoil anything, but it's definitely worth uh, checking out and kind of. Here, here's one quote that I love by her before we, we let things roll on. Don't obey laws that allow mass murder. Right. I think that's a good one to stand by. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Amy Serrano, a voice for the voiceless. Before we let it roll, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our to our podcast boss, our yeah. podcast mom, the one that makes it all happen for us, Katie Shaw. Katie Shaw, one of a kind. Uh, Katie, Katie's our kind of behind the scenes maker and shaker. Uh, she does all of our social media and mm-hmm. kind of does all the behind the scenes stuff that uh, doesn't get enough credit. So just wanted to give some some love and give a shout out to Katie because this podcast would not be possible without her. Honestly, yeah. She holds it all together when uh, it's it's Monday night and the episode isn't loaded yet. She'll just like drop into the WhatsApp group and be like, guys, uh, and we're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's Tuesday tomorrow, isn't it? So thank you to Katie for keeping us consistent and honest and just on top of things. And um, just, yeah, being being just an all-around wonderful human being. She keeps rower. These, these two fools in line over here. That's right. Rower, 
Juicy Jogger. She's part of the Juicy Joggers crew, whether she likes it or not. Absolutely. (laughs) Cold Dipper. Yep. Man. Impressive human being. Yeah. Uh, She sent me a couple good uh, posts this morning that I thought I'd give a quick share and then we can get into the episode. Uh, So this one is uh, from Stephen Bartlett. Um, He tweeted, social media is designed to make you think. Maybe I should be somewhere else, doing something else, with someone else. But if you always think your happiness is somewhere else, it will never be where you are. And I just like that. You know, I think that we can get uh, caught in the chase of the grass is greener, mm. admiring other people's lives or diminishing what we what we have in our own lives when really our happiness and everything, you know, we we ultimately our happiness is within and it's where we are. It's not somewhere else. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, that's good. And she sent me one other on kind of a little more good style. She said it's from uh, Atomic Habits. Great book. Mm -hmm. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs. But as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. This one reason why meaningful change does not require radical, radical change. Small habits can make a meaningful difference by providing evidence of a new identity. And if a change is meaningful... It actually is big. Mm, so good. Isn't that good? So good. Little changes little are cha- big changes. Little changes are the big changes. Yeah, that's awesome. So shout out to Katie Shaw. Definitely. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you. All right. This week's episode, Amy Serrano. Here we go. All right, all right. I'm so excited for this conversation. We're here with... I want to say vegan celebrity, oh. influencer of the animals, uh, Amy, Amy Serrano. <laughs> and hopefully the people too. Yes. We can influence some of the people. Yes, yes. Very, very popular in the animal kingdom. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Hello. Yes, good to be with you, Amy. Thanks for making time for us today to chat all things about uh, your story, who you are, but also and ultimately like animal activism and standing up for for the the ones maybe without a voice as loud and as powerful as ours. So good to be with you. Thanks for being mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Thanks for making time for me. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. So I, maybe, maybe for, for the sake of storytelling, we can kind of rewind things back and maybe we'll finish at the Excelsior four and how you, <laughs> how you became one of the infamous four. Uh, but maybe we could rewind it back and, and um, go back to young Amy and, and, and start there was, was, um, were you always like a compassionate person growing up? Um, were you close with animals? Uh, where, where did this mm. activism start? Like, um, I think with my own kids, just to give some insight, like uh, I've got two young boys and I feel like it's so intuitive for kids to be little mm-hmm. animal activists, little animal lovers. Uh, you know, the, the books we read are about animals. The shows mm-hmm. we watch are about mm-hmm. animals. The toys we play with are animals. When they want to go do something fun, you know, they want to go see animals like they we got little chickens at the the farm close to us and they want to go see the chickens or um, like mm-hmm. when they see animals, their expression is like love and interest. And mm-hmm. and it's so counterintuitive to to a kid at our most, you know, innocent, loving state of of our human experience um, to yeah. for for us to eat animals when mm-hmm. everything else is is expressed as love. So mm-hmm. maybe we yeah. can rewind it back to to your upbringing and and how you became an activist and how you 
kind of questioned uh, the social structures that became so normalized in our animal agricultural system. Yeah, Um, what you said was really profound. I do think that children naturally, I think everyone naturally just wants to love animals and certainly doesn't want to hurt them. Um, And yet when we do see children who do hurt animals, it's like this huge thing that we need to intervene and there's a problem and oh my gosh, what's happening? so it's interesting that like our natural selves that's just so normal and i think if children are taught about what meat dairy and eggs actually involves or even leather and wool and zoos and circuses and everything um what we do to animals in order to have a little bit of enjoyment no child would want to participate in that um and i think marketing does a really really good job of disconnecting the animal and the suffering from the actual product, mm. um, which is devastating. And for me as a child, I was definitely always a huge animal lover. Of course, I didn't grow up vegan, just like most people. Um, and I would say that I probably became an activist before I even became vegan. I remember even throughout school, thinking back to like biology class, um, there was this moment that stands out in my mind where the biology teacher slammed a dead piglet on the table Mm. in front of me and said, dissect their body. And I was just stunned. And of course, I was still eating animals at that time. But there was such a disconnect to actually see the animal and a dead animal in front of me. And I'm told to rip their body apart. That just seemed so unnatural and so wrong. I stood up and I was like, no, I'm not participating in this. Like that, that's denying everything that is natural to me and I'm not doing that. And it didn't matter if I failed the course or if I had to, you know, make up for it some other time, but I was not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And a little while later, I was involved in this pageant program and we went through um, Toastmasters and we had to give speeches all the time and all the other girls would give like very lighthearted, happy <laughs> talks and I would go up there and start talking about the exploitation and abuse of animals and I would show like these graphic signs and put up posters I remember that there was this one speech about elephants and circuses and I was talking about how abused they are and showing all these images and no one wanted to listen to me or to see that but I just felt like if I'm given any sort of platform to speak about something it has to be about something that matters mm-hmm. and it has to be about challenging these things that we are involved in and we participate in on a daily basis and encouraging people to do better including myself um so yeah and then eventually years later I became vegan and it just made the most sense um it's strange now to think back to a time where I wasn't vegan like why but I guess it's just yeah we need to make that connection once that light bulb goes on, it's hard, hard to turn mm-hmm. it off. And it's like, how how was I living in the dark for, for so long? But yeah. mm-hmm. we all do because we're we're living and operating in a system where, where we normalize it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go for, for lunch or whatever growing up or pack a lunch or whatever, like our meals always revolved around, mm-hmm. you know, meat, around mm-hmm. animals. So yeah. It, 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 is kind of a defiance or rebellion to kind of turn that light on and, and realize mm-hmm. what we're participating in. Yeah. Um, it's strange now. Like I, most of the people around me are vegan. So it is strange to sort of like, oh yeah, okay, this is very normal in society. It's not normal to eat fully plant-based and, you know, to refuse these products of violence. But 
Um, I am hopeful that one day we will get there. And I think that's why it's important to become an activist. Like it's one thing to change our own decisions, but I think that in order for this mass suffering to eventually end, we do need to accelerate that more than just our personal choices. So mm-hmm. yeah, sort of my natural activist in me, once I became vegan, it became a lot more intentional and a lot more focused um, towards animals that are typically considered food animals. Um, so that's my focus now. Yeah. Well, I think it's like you're up against the huge economic machine of like how the food industry works and tied to that is like all of the advertising that we're, you know, we're exposed to that these, these animals are kind of more just like products to be consumed. And there's that disconnect that is created very early by like teaching, you know, kids like you'd said about like, Oh, this is a cow and a cow goes moo. But then like certified Angus beef, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and the way that it's sold and packaged to us is like, don't connect those two things Mm -hmm. and seeing it now is like very it's very obvious like it's so strange to think like oh yeah that's like a living that was like a living animal and now it's just like something that you're going to consume um but the work of the activist i would say and and you can absolutely speak to it but it's like working against like that social conditioning that's out there so much that we see it every day on the side of billboards and buses and trucks and TVs and all of that, right? This is mm-hmm. this is what food is, is like these core ingredients that always seem to resolve around like animal products. Yeah, they're living, feeling, breathing individuals. And that's the thing. I think this society of industrialized, commercialized farming tries so hard to take out the individuality of these animals to make them all look the same, sound the same. Um, they're so bred in such a way that they all do they look identical and um, we just see these animals in such mass numbers that we it's so hard to just see their individuality but they do they have their own unique personalities they're their own people and unfortunately in our current food system we don't see that we do see words like steak and bacon and pork you know they don't even mention the animals anymore Mm -hmm. um which is probably why they created those terms but i don't know a lot of what i do i say is like reconnecting people to animals because as we talked about earlier like children do have that sort of innate connection with animals and as we grow up and become (laughs) immersed in this society we do lose touch and i think there's specific animals certainly that we maybe we've never seen them maybe people have never really been around pigs or Mm -hmm. cows or chickens Mm -hmm. they've never had a connection with those animals so it's easier to disconnect but i think we just really need to try and connect with them Um, which is why i think animal sanctuaries are amazing Mm -hmm. people do have the opportunity to go and meet them and they have names and you can play together you know and i think that that's that's important yeah because it's so it's so interesting too how like we've made the distinction between like animals that are pets or you Mm -hmm. know things that we can care for versus ones that we can eat Mm. and like that's just like a social construct really Mm -hmm. is to say oh like dogs and cats and these things are like animals that we would never consider eating they're part of our family and we love them and they have personality and like you can tell when it's happy or sad or whatever right we're so in tune with our animals that we have as pets Mm. and yet other animals we would just say oh no that's like that's like a pig that's just food like Mm -hmm. or waiting to be food 
And then we would make judgments even on other cultures to say, how dare they eat an animal like that? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, it's so interesting. When yet kind of, other cultures look at us and are like, what? How you could you cows? eat a cow? Right? Like, it's like, astounding. Yeah. The mental but. gymnastics you have to do to get around it to yeah. say like, oh, these ones are okay to eat, but these ones aren't. And then I'll be able to like judge these people for eating those ones. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating that we do that without kind of mm-hmm. stepping back to be like, wait, the whole thing is kind of crazy. It is. It's so crazy. But also, I often say to people, okay, well, let's just take birds, for instance. Why, if there was a robin who was sick and suffering on our porch that we saw, I I imagine most of our instincts would be to go out and try and help that bird. But what if if an animal is a chicken, then we rip their bodies apart and eat them? Mm. How does that make sense? Or dolphins. We love dolphins. We want to protect them. But salmon? We're just going to kill them and tear them from the ocean. It doesn't make any sense, but there are certain animals that we have just taken and commodified and deemed products, and it's atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think going to the point you touched on is is kind of othering animals and um, abstracting, like we you talked about how we call it pork or mm. or a burger or you know, bacon, we have all these, these abstractions that allow us to see animals as objects or things. And it takes away from personifying them as individuals, because they all are individuals, you know, like, Mm -hmm. if we go to a a dog Mm -hmm. park, you see, all the dogs have different personalities. If you like, visit someone that has a cat, they all have unique personalities. If you hang out with your friends, they all have unique personalities. Mm -hmm. It's no different um, with animals that we've, we've normalized as as meat but they're all individuals like you mentioned like uh you know pigs are known for their intelligence and cows are highly intelligent sensitive beings and so are pretty Mm -hmm. much every other animal that we we normalize as as okay to put on our plate and i think um kind of if we can see them as as beings um as individuals it's a lot harder to to accept them as as food Mm-hmm. Um, just like, you know, if I see you as an individual or my dog or my cat as an individual, like Dean was saying, I would have a lot, it would be very emotional and, and traumatizing for mm-hmm. me to participate in the, the murder, the slaughter uh, of, you know, my cat or dog or my friend. And, you know, like, I think even there's like a, a Simpson, there's a Simpson episode on everything, like when Homer, <laughs> Homer takes care of a turkey and then comes Thanksgiving and he slaughters his own turkey and he's sitting there crying as he eats it. But I think if we had that connection, you know, it'd, it'd be mm-hmm. a traumatizing and emotional experience to eat any meat. Yeah. And we hear animals. that all the time, even with workers, like slaughterhouse workers or farm mm, workers. Yes. They intentionally say, no, I am not going to create this bond or, you know, go up to an animal and pet them or play with them or, or like even acknowledge that they are an individual because that makes my job so much harder. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, you have to torture them, mutilate them, confine them and kill them. Mm-hmm. And to personify them and see that they're an individual who feels and doesn't want that to happen, that's, that's devastating. It's heartbreaking for a human to do that. And ultimately, I guess that is speciesism within our society, like why we do see some animals as animals that we cherish and love and want to protect and other animals that we just destroy. But I don't know. I guess there is that transparency bit of like if people did just see these animals, they wouldn't want to hurt them either. And I think that's why the industry does such an amazing job of 
concealing the confinement, concealing the torture and the mutilations and the suffering. They're inside these cement barns, warehouses, really, they're not even barns, and no one can ever see them. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a consumer and you're like, okay, yeah, I want some transparency. I want to go into a farm and see what it looks like, you know, in a chicken farm or an egg farm, you, you're not allowed to see. None of us are allowed to see inside these places because it's so horrific. And I think if anyone was given the opportunity to just go inside and experience that and see these animals, like we spoke a little bit earlier about how, you know, we don't hear their voices. Oh, no, they are silenced, but they are screaming. Mm. If you walk inside there, you can tell that they are suffering and it's just so blatantly clear. But unfortunately, the average person, unless you really go out of your way, they will never, ever see that or experience that. And that's why I eventually started documenting, going in and like filming. And that's, you know, it still doesn't convey, it still doesn't convey what it's like to be there and to to sense that agony, to sense that terror. Um, You can't translate that through film, unfortunately. Mm. Um, But we try. And um, that is why eventually I took, you know, hundreds of other activists in with me. And I said, no, you all need to experience this too. And we need to share it with the world um, because it's just, it's so life-changing. It's so profound. And these poor animals, you know, no one sees them. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Um, so Meet the Victims. Mm-hmm. Um, you're one of the local organizers of Meet the Victims, right? For okay. Canada, yeah. Canada, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's a hog farm in Abbotsford, Excelsior Hog Farm. Mm-hmm. And um, you staged a, um, a protest there with hundreds of other animal activists. And uh, mm-hmm. you guys went down and, and, as the name says, meet the victims. You went and observed and mm-hmm. um, were eyes for the world in many ways um, and shared the experience that these these victims have daily mm-hmm. uh, with the rest of the world. and. You know, we talk about them being voiceless, like animals really are like the the lowest common denominator because they're not able to have a voice for themselves. So it's 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 so important and so um, incredibly meaningful when people like yourselves step forward and, and try to share their experience. Um, I could imagine just thinking about, you know, ableism for, for mm. human beings, like, you know, people that are, are disabled in any mm-hmm. way are... are don't have the same opportunity um, in many ways that uh, the able-bodied community has. And and animals have far less, you know, they don't even have a voice or mm-hmm. any opportunity to have the right to live. Um, so maybe we can talk about that, Meet the Victims. And just for for the sake of, of sharing that experience, maybe um, you can kind of share what you saw the animals experiencing so the listeners can can hopefully connect um, to that experience and, and leave this conversation with um, some more empathy and some more compassion and connection for for mm-hmm. our voiceless friends, the the animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you brought up ableism because um, part of the reason be- why I became vegan and why I started like really becoming an activist is because of my own health problems. Um, I became very, very, very sick and still to this day, I'm still, you know, battling this rare sort of unknown illness and 
I sort of recognized with myself, there's nothing that the doctors can do about this. There's nothing that I can personally do about this. I can't relieve my own pain. But these animals are suffering unnecessarily. If we take them out of the circumstance, if we just like lift up the bars, open the cages, give them some medical attention, they won't be in pain anymore. They don't need to be suffering. And that's just so important. So yeah, going back to meet the victims, um, for a long time, I was sort of this elusive investigator. So in the dark of night, I would put on a balaclava <laughs> and all black, and me and some others would go into various farms across BC and document. And we would just go inside and film for a few hours and then leave. Um, and that was really powerful, but I just kept feeling like there just needs to be more. There needs to be more. Like, how do we get people to, like, the news doesn't want to share that footage. Mm-hmm. It's just so horrific. They just, unless there's more of a story there, they won't pay attention. They won't show the masses what's happening. And so often, unless there's a lot of pressure, even authorities like the SPCA or, you know, like no one will step in and intervene. Even if there's criminal activity happening at this farm where animals are being abused illegally, they're always abused, but not just legally, illegally, um, nothing happens. So yeah, this Excelsior hog farm, um, I still have nightmares to this day about this farm. I mean, this was three years ago and These barns are the length of football fields, like professional football fields. They're massive, massive, massive barns. They're all cement. Um, Even if you're walking right beside the outside wall, you can't hear any animals. Um, You can't see any animals. There's certainly no animals grazing on grass. And outside there's dumpsters upon dumpsters of just dead animals and dead piglets and blood. Um, you know, the spent mothers who have had a few litters and so they're deemed unprofitable anymore. So they're killed or they slowly suffer and die inside and then they're dragged out to the dumpster where the runts of a litter, a little piglet who's maybe sick and suffering, um, they're slammed against concrete until they die and then thrown in the garbage. Um, and then, yeah, when you open the doors to these places, It's pitch black inside. These animals never see the day of light. They never breathe fresh air. They're never on grass. They're just on this filthy concrete floor. And, you know, instantly your nose and your throat just starts like stinging. Mm -hmm. And the air is just terrible. My eyes were watering. It was just awful. And this is air that I'm breathing for a few minutes or a few hours. These animals, that's all they ever, ever breathe. And you can physically see particles in the air. It's just awful. And um, like many pig farms, this pig farm is a breeding facility. So um, they put these sows, these female pigs, into individual crates. They're called gestation crates. And they're the size of their own body. Um, So they can't turn around. They can't move. They can take one step forward or backwards. That's it. Um, They can barely lie down. Their limbs have to stick outside of the crate, which is going into someone else's crate. And um, some of them can't even turn their heads to look around. They can just stare at whatever is in front of them. And for some, that's a concrete wall that is like mere centimeters from their nose. And we think about like that physical deprivation. I can't imagine Mm. never being able to even like turn around or kind of stretch out ever. 
Um, but the psychological deprivation is probably even worse. These animals are such um, intelligent creatures. Like they're smarter than a three-year-old child. They are so, so smart. And they, there's nothing in there that would make life worth living. There's, there's no life. There's mere existence. And they have to watch so much death. Their babies, like it's just so atrocious, the amount of suffering that takes place in these facilities. And um, hidden camera footage revealed, you know, farmers electric prodding pigs in the face, repeatedly hitting them, kicking them, throwing piglets around, um, cutting off the tails and ripping out testicles with zero pain relief, uh, doing just brutal, brutal mutilations and suffering. And this is considered one of Canada's best farms. This farm is owned and operated by a member of the BC Pork Producers Association. Um, It's truly the best of the best. And a lot of people think that we went into that farm to lift the curtain on, you know, one of the worst farms out there, that that's just a bad apple. But no, 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 that is representative of the industry. That is truly the best of the best. So we can just imagine what happens to animals on the worst of them. Mm. It It's devastating. It's almost like t- uncomprehensible. Yeah, like how could it get worse? How could it possibly get worse? <clears throat> but it does. Wow. It does. Yeah, so meet the victims. We um, There was hundreds of people there that day. We drove in buses to the farm. Um, 65 of us went inside the farm. So we sat down one of the rows where those gestation crates are, where those pregnant mothers are. And uh, we sat there and we live streamed for eight hours. Oh, wow. And we said, we are not leaving until mainstream media can come inside and get their own footage because they won't put our footage up so they can come get their own. And I thought if journalists came inside too, it would be more of a profound story um, if they were able to experience that. So eventually after eight hours of negotiating with police in the farm, they finally allowed mainstream media in and it got not only national but international news attention and that footage is still being circulated online now three years later. So it was a very, very profound day. Um, and as a result, our court case is, you know, it's giving us the potential to prompt actual legal change for these animals and really fight for them in the courtroom. And that's ultimately what needs to happen. These animals are deemed property. Their legal status is property. Even in the courtroom, when they're referring to animals, I keep getting confused because they're talking about, okay, property this, property that. And I'm like, what? What property? Oh, oh my God, they're talking about the pigs. Mm -hmm. It's just like, that's their legal status. And that needs to change. What goes back to that, like normalizing how we like once normalized slavery and and so many other horrific Mm -hmm. things that we now know are wrong. Uh, We've normalized this and, and mentioning them as property instead of individuals. You know, I think fundamentally to our, intuitively we know this is wrong, but we just need the world to open their eyes to the truth of the scenario. Mm. Uh, One thing you talked on is transparency, and I just, I find it interesting, and I'd love love your take, like, um, we're in a world that wants transparency, whether it's the clothing (laughs) that they're buying, whether it's the juice they're getting, you know, when people come to the juice truck, they want to know, like, where do you get your apples? What farm are they from? <laughs> is it local? Is it organic? Like, people care so immensely and want transparency on everything. Um, but there seems to be a total lack of, um, one, lack of transparency when it comes to animal agriculture, where 
people get their 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 meat uh, quotation meats from um, but also a lack of desire you know we want transparency and all these things and we're willing to like call people out and cancel them when they're not being transparent or they're withholding mm-hmm. the truth but when it comes to animal agriculture we just like accept it mm-hmm. and I just like um, we're kind of in this this era of, of activism where everyone is an activist you know we've all got our Instagram and our TikTok and you know, people are, are quick to, um, you know, become passionate about a cause and forget about it two weeks later and have a new cause. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's a generation mm. of activism, but we're just keeping a blind eye to um, the transparency of what's happening mm-hmm. when it comes to the food on our plates. And I'm, you yeah. know, obviously you're you're illuminating this, but. Uh, like why why do you think we're uncomfortable in wanting transparency when it comes to our food, but want it um, in every other aspect of our life? Food is a weird one. We have this weird connection with food. Um, I don't know if it's cultures, if it's our upbringing and um, our belief systems. There's so much that drives our food choices and, you know, our traditions and Christmas time and Thanksgiving. And there's so much that is just centered around food and it's nostalgic Mm -hmm. and people get so attached to that. So I think when it comes to food, there is this extra touchy thing about it. Um, And in a world that is so desperately wanting transparency, I think people truly don't want transparency when it comes to animal agriculture because they know it's uncomfortable. So many people that I talk to, even my own family, are like, yeah, yeah, Amy, I know. I know what happens in farms and slaughterhouses. You don't need to show me. We don't need to talk about it. I already know. But the reality is we don't know. Mm. We have this idyllic vision in our minds through books and TV shows and movies and everything that we've been fed. We think we know what farms and slaughterhouses are like. We think we know what that process is. But in actuality, we don't. We've been fed a lie, all of us. And the reality is a lot has changed. Everything has industrialized. And it's this misery machine that is brand new and way different. And ultimately, if people see that, it is too painful. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it pushes people to make the change. But if they're not ready for that change, then it's this, I don't know, this weird conflict within. But... I don't know. We're also fighting against an industry that um, so desperately doesn't want. I mean, they rely on secrecy. This is an industry that entirely relies on secrecy. And someone going in and pressing record on a camera is seen as the biggest threat. And it's interesting because I've seen that so blatantly within my activism. I've done some really unusual, strange, you know, disruptive things within my activism. I've locked down a bank. I've done all sorts of crazy stuff. But the most threatening thing I've ever done is press record on a camera inside of a farm. Mm -hmm. And that within the legal system is considered the biggest threat. That's where the majority of my charges and that's where the majority of the legal resources have gone. They didn't care that I locked down a bank. They didn't care. But pressing record on a camera, like getting that footage out there, that is considered you know, the ultimate threat to the industry and they are fighting back really hard. Right. Because mm-hmm. in this in this uh, case, it's, I know you can't talk too much about it, but you're facing, it was like 21 Yeah, 21 charges. indictable offenses, yeah. Right. And potentially like years in jail. 
Yeah. For me, it would be 70 years in prison. That's insane. Yeah. And the repercussions for the farm workers who are abusing. Absolutely nothing. Even though we not only just revealed like, yeah, okay, there's gestation crates and this is how they can find animals, the routine suffering. We not only revealed that, but we revealed criminal animal cruelty and the SPCA just won't do anything about it. And it's up to them. Unfortunately, we have a private charity, the SPCA, enforcing animal cruelty laws. They should not be an enforcement body. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But yeah, they just won't do anything about it. There's conflicts of interest there. For sure. Yeah, because are they, they're like non-for-profit, right? Or how does that work with the SPCA? They're a private charity. So they rely on Donations. donations, which could be industry. It could be Excelsior Hog Farm for all we know. Who knows? Right. But obviously it influences where they're allocating resources and what animal cruelty goes enforced and what doesn't. So they're great if you have a stray dog, but if uh, mm-hmm. you know hundreds of thousands of animals are being abused under industry, then uh, you know that's okay. Yeah, there's no, I mean, even then, how, how can they enforce laws inside this cement shed that no one can see inside? How right. do they know anything's taken place? Right. The SPCA doesn't have the authority to even go into a farm or a slaughterhouse without a warrant. Yeah. And they can't get a warrant unless there is proof, documented proof, of criminal abuse taking place. How are they going to get that? If you can't see or hear. Only or activists inside. can get that. But yeah. when activists get that. You get charged. I get charged. That's crazy. So it's like it's a lose-lose situation and no one is protecting these animals. The SPCA does amazing work for cats and dogs. Wonderful. They should keep that up. But when it comes to farmed animals and that whole industry, there is no one watching. Yeah. It's a self-regulated industry. Okay. Because I was going to ask you, where's the accountability then? Like, where does the accountability lie for, like, an Excelsior hog farm or its equivalents across yeah. the province in the country? There is none. There is none. It's self-regulated. And even the codes of practice that are put in place for all farmers, it's... It's kind of like, okay, well, here are our suggestions. Do whatever you want. Right. And like and no one's checking up on them. So No. And there are certain requirements. So there are certain things on farms that are deemed illegal abuse. But again, what happens if they break those laws? There's no one monitoring. There's them. no one monitoring. Yeah. So that's part of our court cases. We're fighting for mandatory, basically live streaming cameras inside all farms and slaughterhouses across the province. If they have an issue with other people, activists going inside to get this footage or any sort of ounce of transparency, well, they should do that themselves then. If they're going to say that we are, you know, portraying these farms in a certain light, well, no, no, no. All you need is a live stream camera up in the corner and just show people themselves. And everyone should have access. Every public, like every member of the public should have access to that footage. And right now they don't. So, so what do you think, Amy, like needs to happen for, for that to be a reality? Because we've talked a lot about, you know, in other areas, like the consumer and like our, you know, our, our consumer dollar kind of like dictates the most, whatever, whatever it is like this will, this will create change. Mm. But like, it's, I could say something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, (laughs) um, I think, uh. It's so difficult because obviously I want the whole world to go vegan. I want everyone I talk to, you know, obviously I talk about this. I want everyone to go vegan. That's so important. (sighs) But although we're seeing this sort of like spike in veganism, we're seeing, you know, all these like plant-based food options coming up, seeing all these celebrities who are going vegan, you know, it seems like there's big changes happening. There's big shifts. More animals than ever before are being slaughtered and killed. 
So why is that? If the most powerful thing is changing our personal choices, like if that makes such a huge shift, then why are more animals suffering and dying? And there's a few reasons for that, but the biggest one is government subsidies. You know, for instance, the dairy industry in Canada, it's dying. No one is buying dairy anymore. But subsidies is propping up this industry, and they're continuing to just abuse these cows and create this you know, cow breast milk, and they're dumping it. Mm-hmm. No one's consuming it, but they're still getting paid. Yeah. It's so interesting, too, because I was having conversations, you know, uh, with multiple multiple people, and they would order, like, a oat milk latte or, mm. you know, at the grocery store, oh, have you tried that barista blender, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, are you, like, are you off dairy? Oh, well, no, not really, but, like, I just, oh, I really like the oat milk. Mm-hmm. And so they haven't made the conscious decision to, like, not, have dairy but they're buying mm-hmm. the alternative so more and more interesting. people are doing yeah, that yeah yeah and i mean i don't know what your experience but i know for me locally like it's often hard to get like mm-hmm. there's milk there's lots of milk but then like some of the oat milks yeah. or some of the other ones are like regularly sold out you're like oh good there's some in stock right <laughs> which says yeah. something too yeah. right that that's like yeah there's clearly like a shift in demand there, which right. is amazing. And I think that that's clearly like, eventually that's going to influence our government to be like, why are you allocating all these dollars for nothing? Yeah. Um, which is strange too. And I'm not sure what's going on, like why the government is trying to prop up that industry so much, but they are. Mm. Um, even throughout COVID, we saw like there was huge shifts in like sort of supply and demand and they were just continuing to kill animals and just dumping them. I was, I was listening Even though to, people uh, weren't consuming. Well, yeah. yeah. I was listening to Ed, Ed Winters on uh, the Ritual podcast earlier, and he was talking mm-hmm. about how a lot of these farms saw record profits mm-hmm. because of the subsidies. Like, mm-hmm. uh, they're already subsidized, but with, you know, COVID and the pandemic, they were further subsidized and, and saw record, you know, cash flow um, through, you know, government bailouts. Uh, there was this great case, I mean, terrible case, but mm. just shocking story and kind of exemplifies the silliness and craziness of all this. It was in the States and it's kind of talking about how the true cost of cheese is like, so they subsidize almost like 90% of the cost of cheese. So we're paying like 10 cents <laughs> to the dollar for cheese. And then it was like almost a billion dollars worth of cheese that didn't sell. And the government bought that cheese back. Wow. So they're like subsidizing. Wow. 90% of it already, so mm-hmm. that we're only paying like a 10% true cost, and then it didn't sell. And the government, because they don't want to see big big dairy, big agriculture fail, mm-hmm. they bought back like the billion. So there's like a picture of this like government warehouse with like basically like hundreds of millions of dollars of cheese just sitting there because uh, the lobby the, the lobby groups of, of animal agriculture and... Mm-hmm. Meat and dairy are so strong that, uh, for whatever reason, it's the government hasn't seen that. You know, if they subsidized, mm-hmm. you know, vegetables, uh, we can feed more people. More people can be healthy. We'll have less health issues. That will be less taxing on, you know, our hospitals. Everything. Yeah. Um, Everything. Yeah. But we we haven't made that that sy- systemic change yet, and it's just like. Like going back to the transparency and, you know, going back to my kids often, I think, okay, what's the learning opportunity for my kids? How mm-hmm. would I, how would I explain this? And mm. like, if you went to a strawberry farm and took a picture with your kid 
You they'd know? be grateful. They'd, they'd be like, thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I was like, oh, you can't take a picture of these strawberries. You can't take a picture of this spinach. You can't take a picture of like these raspberries. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we go and like with our kids, we go to the UPIX all the time and we take mm-hmm. pictures and we put them on Instagram and people are like, where's that farm? That's so cute. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Like imagine being like, hey, it's a sunny Saturday. I'm going to go to the slaughterhouse with my kid and take some pictures. Like mm-hmm. nobody would do it. Yeah. yeah, there would yeah. be no meat on the plate because you would be traumatizing your child. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like they would be on going vegan. Like mm-hmm. they would have coping issues with like day to day existence <laughs> yeah. if they had to experience. And the workers do. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. Like the slaughterhouse workers have the highest rates of PTSD, yeah. substance abuse, domestic violence. Like they're suffering too this is a human rights issue just as much as you know animal rights environmental health everything um yeah those workers don't want to be there and in canada the majority of slaughterhouse workers are immigrants Mm -hmm. they're brought into canada saying yeah you have a job and you have a home just come here but the only opportunity we give them is a slaughterhouse is that better yeah. I, I was reading that the majority of slaughterhouses are in communities that live be, below the poverty line, so yeah. that um, often it's the only jobs available. Mm-hmm. So these people that have the choice of being homeless or, or having a job that you know pays basic human necessities or, or, or if that, um, you know, have to go and be have these traumatizing work experiences mm-hmm. and have no other choice if they need to feed their family and. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, they have PTSD, and often that shows up in other sides of their life, whether it's domestic violence oh or, or you know suicide or, yeah. or depression, and um, yeah, the victims aren't just the animals; it's yeah. it's the people that are are working at these places as well. Yeah, I've done a lot of um, activism work outside of slaughterhouses, and it's interesting. <clears throat> seeing obviously like the owners or the managers of the establishment aren't happy that we're there and they're typically these white dudes but all the workers who are coming and going from their jobs so many of them have like like given us a thumbs up and like said like you know thank you thank you for being here Mm -hmm. um they're grateful that we're trying to uh, tear down this terrible industry and of course just like with everything um those jobs will be They'll, they'll be given other opportunities elsewhere. So it's not like we're just, you know, taking from these people. But we need to shut down these establishments. Yeah. They're destructive to everyone. Because that's some, sometimes like the, it's like a little bit of like a gaslighting argument where it's like, oh, well, if we remove this, like these people now like are going to be without a job. And like that might be so for the short term. But that's, mm-hmm. I think, part of like building in the solution is to say, okay, like if we're going to mandate or regulate this industry and eventually you know, not have these massive industrial complexes employing, I don't know, hundreds of people or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And you could say, oh, all of those people are going to lose their jobs. But the reality is like how many of those people would be very happy to do something very different, 100%. right? If they were given an opportunity, it wasn't just like, oh, this is the job that you can have, mm-hmm. but rather to try and uh, invest in a community to say, here, what are what are some skills we can give you to like allow you to have a job that is not, this because mm-hmm. I, I would assume based on the information you've shared and like I mean the in documentaries it's not far it's not hard to look or research and see how it affects negatively like a community mm-hmm. most of those people don't really want to be there no it's just it's like the option that they have mm-hmm. and if we can 
through government and social assistance, like help people <laughs> get a different job, they're going to jump at that chance. Yeah. And that's why I also think that so much of activism it is focused on the individual consumers, which I think that there is a time and a place for that. But we do need to start shifting a lot of our activism to be lobbying government and focusing on, you know, the systems in place and you, the pillars upholding this industry, not just consumers. That's one pillar. But right. a lot of activism is neglecting all these other pillars and it's vital. So like mandating having CCTV cameras inside farms and slaughterhouses. I'm not going after consumers to do that. No, that's the government that needs to implement that. So we're targeting the Ministry of Agriculture to put that in. And yeah, there needs to be more more of that, I think. Yeah. <sighs> it's a long it's a long road, right? There's like <laughs> lots that needs to happen, but and I think that people can sometimes feel overwhelmed. Um Mm-hmm. What are some things that you would say to the average person who's listening to this? And maybe maybe they're not at the place in their own kind of like journey or whatever where they're going to go and like bear witness to something like this. So like some effective steps to activism that uh, everybody can. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Whether it would be like lobbying government or whatever. But yeah, if, if you were sitting across the table from someone who's like, how do I start? Like, you've got me convinced. Where do we start? Amy? Yeah. <laughs> we we want to help. <laughs> Well, good. (laughs) We need all hands on deck. Um, ah, Where to start? Well, look at what skill sets you have. What what sort of knowledge and skill sets do you have? Are you, for instance, um, a photographer? Are you a graphic designer? Are you someone who's really, really good at lobbying the government already? Um, There's so many different skill sets that we need to use and work together. Um, to create positive change. So maybe that maybe there's a really unique place there. Mm. Um, if not, I think, um, I don't know, see what's happening locally in your community, see if there is any activism. But for me, when I first like really started becoming an activist, um, once I became vegan, there was nothing in my local area. And so, I don't know, activism is also taking initiative research different types of activism see what people are doing around the world what do you feel most inspired by what do you feel actually makes a change um i do sort of i I want everyone to go and do something but at the same time i want everyone to go and do something effective um when i first started being an activist i was not effective i was doing what i call popcorn activism i was popping up here there and all over the place and you know i'd hear oh like there's this circus coming to town i need to go get a sign and stand outside okay, like I had a few conversations maybe, but like was I able to measure my success? Was I able to like tangibly make a change for those animals? Uh, probably not. Um, so now I focus a lot on pressure campaigning and, you know, making a roadmap of what do I want to happen? What is my goal here? Start small maybe. Maybe there's a local farmer slaughterhouse or hatchery or something in your area and you want to shut them down or you want to do something to create a change for those animals. Set a goal a realistic goal, and then create a, a map of how you're going to get there and what is, how can you measure success? How do you know, you know, am I on the right path or am I not? Um, and I think for me, once I've started switching tactics and sort of focusing more on pressure campaigning, I've seen some tangible results. Um, a group that I co-founded um, with my friends Zoe Paled and Olivia Weber, we co-founded Bound for Farms BC about a year ago. And 
um, mink farms in British Columbia have just been banned. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, we can't take all the credit for that. There's been so many amazing people working together on this, but we went hard and we were lobbying the government incessantly and effective change happened. And now there's only one fur farm left in BC and they're in court. And so we're working on that. And the majority of that activism was behind the scenes. It was talking with political leaders and government officials and just, you know, like switching tactics, not doing what we typically view as activism, going outside with a a sign and yelling and screaming at people. Um, But yeah, I think we just need to figure out how to be most effective. Mm. Yeah, I like like what you said too, like look at, what gifts and interests and skills mm-hmm. you have and like how can you show up as yourself but with intention to like bring about change so yeah are you are you good at like writing letters or petitioning governments mm-hmm. or are you a creative person that can contribute to a project or help in a certain way so rather than like you know those first steps are often the ones that are most accessible it's just who we mm-hmm. are right we live busy lives and this kind of stuff but if you can say listen i'm good at this or i enjoy doing this and here's a way that i can do that thing and have it like make an impact then that's kind of like your first step down the road and then like who knows what that could yeah what that could lead to for people and then the effect of like change and look like activism is not meant to be comfortable Mm. maybe i'm not being very gentle here (laughs) but it's like ah like it's it's going to be uncomfortable that's what activism is we're not there to you know have a potluck and have fun we're there because it's a social justice issue right there's a sense of there's urgency. Something, yeah, there's a sense of urgency. Something terrible is happening that we need to stop. It's not meant to be like really fun and comfortable. I have a lot of fears. I often feel so uncomfortable. But it's about pushing through that. And I think the more that we do that, um, that empowers us too. And I think seeing that when I am my most courageous person, that inspires others to step up and be very courageous. And... I don't know. It pushes me to keep going. Yeah. Sometimes that's where living happens too. That's mm-hmm. where life happens is when we're uncomfortable, you know, whether Tina mm-hmm. and I are both runners and like we seek uncomfort, you mm-hmm. know, like we want to run further. We want to run faster. And I think like the things that truly matter, a lot of them are uncomfortable and that's where growth and that's where, you know, our own evolution can can happen if we are willing to to live our life in in, in spaces that people deem are we we deem uncomfortable. So yeah, I I applauded and you know I think like um just just kind of listening to to you speak about the effective ways of activism. I think about we all have like a value system, and I think like we need to be honest with ourselves and and see if if we're in alignment with the values that Mm. we project out to the world like uh you know connecting them to our um our consumer choices um Mm. so how can how how can people align their values with their consumer choices like how how do you see (laughs) that that happening like i think about the clothes we buy and the food the food we choose like if if i'm against abuse or against rape or against Mm -hmm. you know um, cruelty I mean cruelty is a slippery slope because I think it's like a degree of cruelty um, mm-hmm. there is no true cruelty free way of living unfortunately we all contribute to you know just our mere existence will cause cruelty unfortunately but we can seek a world that has the least amount of cruelty yes within our 
society. Mm -hmm. Um, We can do the best that we can. And I think it becomes very, very easy once we don't see animals as products anymore. Once we Mm -hmm. don't see them as things to use. Once we start seeing them as individuals. Um, I know a lot of people that first try and eat plant-based or go vegan. Um, and it, it is sort of like the struggle of like, oh, oh no, I didn't know that that wasn't vegan or whatever. And of course there is, you know, there's a learning curve, but um, it just becomes so easy once it comes to circuses and aquariums and zoos and all the other ways that we abuse and exploit animals. Um, animal testing is a huge one. Once we just start viewing animals as beings that shouldn't be in that position and aren't ours, they're not ours, then it becomes easy. But yeah, look at your products at home. Are they tested on animals? Um, If they're not, they're considered cruelty-free. Great. That's what we aim for. Um, Or do they contain ingredients that have, you know, animal bodies or their secretions? Um, If not, then that's vegan. Mm -hmm. Great. I love that. I think it gives us an an ability to be activists whenever we're we're opening our wallets to buy something. Uh, Mm -hmm. We can be an activist with every single meal or snack a day. We're opting out of big animal agriculture and we're choosing to have a salad or a Beyond Meat burger or mm-hmm. a smoothie or, you know, something that's animal free for lunch. We're, you know, we're we're taking a stand against big agriculture and, mm-hmm. and the subsidies that they get. And uh, we're rebelling against it and saying this is the world that we want to see. If, you know, if you're going to to buy some new clothes and you're choosing not to buy leather or, or other animal products, you know, you're, you're taking a stand for what you believe in. And I, I think you can kind of project that onto to all the choices um, that you make, whether it be financial or not. Um, you're always, our choices have, uh, have meaning. And mm-hmm. I think when we bring intention to that, there's a lot of, a lot of power and, and we can bring activism into little tiny aspects of our life that have kind of macro um, capacity to influence change. Yeah, and start where you are, of course. Like if you, let's say you're listening right now and you're not vegan, well, maybe that's the direction you need to head. Um, yeah, just look and see where you are. If you are vegan and you're like, great, I'm making such a big difference every time I you know, sit down to eat or whatever, maybe you can push yourself a little bit further and just acknowledge that I think that there's more that all of us can do. You don't need to break into a barn, um, but mm. there's lots that everyone can do to help create change and yeah yeah (laughs) i want everyone to be an activist in in various ways but um yeah i think that change won't happen unless we work together and unfortunately animals aren't they aren't winning right now Mm -hmm. so yeah we do need to step up it's funny in all the in all the movies too, like you know, Babe. We cheer, mm-hmm. we cheer for Babe to like yeah. get free yeah. from the farm. You know, <laughs> yeah. free Willy. We cheer for <laughs> Willy to like make it out of the aquarium. Yeah, mm-hmm. Charlotte's Web. I don't know. I can't remember what happens in that one, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure we were cheering for the animals. Yeah, yeah always, yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. They're never the bad guy, other than the big bad wolf. But uh, <laughs> yeah. they didn't get a fair chance. No. Do we want to break down any myths, Dean? Like, should we like? Uh, like take the seed of um you know the the meat eater or or the farmer and just kind of debunk some some myths with amy while we've got her here yeah let's do it myth bust (laughs) meet the meat myth buster like if i'm like uh, if i'm sitting here and i'm like yo amy but it's like necessary to eat meat because i gotta get my protein oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) 
melts my brain. Um, <laughs> I got these muscles I got to take care of, you know? Well, let's, let's go back to science class. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, animals aren't just these, like, protein machines that just, you know, offer us all this protein. Um, the majority of them are plant eaters who get protein from eating plants wow. because guess what? That's I where plant. the protein comes from. <laughs> <laughs> so we can just go directly to the source and not get the secondhand protein um, that comes along with cholesterol and trans fat and sun, tons of other nasty stuff that we don't need. And we can live and thrive and not have any animals in so, our bodies. It's so funny. Like if you're like, making an investment or even wanting to buy something if you're like yo i can give you a deal i can i can go direct to the source and we can skip the middleman and you mm -hmm. can get the direct price it's better you're gonna like skip the middleman everyone would do that yeah, if yeah. i'm like here's an investment opportunity and um you can either like go and have a hundred percent of of the soybean or you could you feed it all of these cows and then you're only gonna get a 25 percent return <laughs> You'd want the hundred percent, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like if we like apply these these tactics that we use in the rest of our life, like mm -hmm. you know, we, we probably wouldn't choose the no. And like, just listen to the doctors and the scientists out there. Yes. If you haven't watched Game Changers, I would recommend it. Forks over knives. Lots of documentaries out there that break this down. Yeah, and it's just a no brainer. Yeah, we don't need to eat animals to survive or thrive. So why would we? But, okay, so I get it. <laughs> I get it. But, so, okay, so maybe I can get some protein from beans and this and that. But it's natural, isn't it? Isn't it natural for mm. us to, like, eat animals? <laughs> like, we've done it for generations got these sharp teeth. Yeah, and... like, are, are, <laughs> oh, God. are we supposed, like, <laughs> we're supposed to eat animals, right? Mm, no, no. <laughs> um, no, there. Okay, there's lots going on there. Um, <laughs> one, just because let's say our ancestors did something does not make it excusable or acceptable in this day and age. We grow and evolve as humans and as a society, and we learn that certain things become unethical or immoral. Um, once upon a time, was it absolutely necessary and imperative for survival to kill and consume or wear animals? Yes. And I understand that um, in this day and age in our society where we have grocery stores and cars and cell phones, do we still need to do that? Absolutely not. Not only that, there's nothing natural about animal farming. Um, something like at least 90% of animal farms now are factory farms. They are these massive industrial machines where animals are inside warehouses, inside cages. Um, there's nothing natural. And I think everyone would agree with that if only they saw a glimpse inside. Um, yeah, I think that answered, I think there was something else in there, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. that got the point across. Well, I, th hopefully. I think touching on that, like, I think if, if everyone saw, you know, what happens inside these farms, if you saw the fear and the stress and mm -hmm. the anxiety of a cow about to go to slaughter or, or a mother cow as their calf is like ripped away from them, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it's, it's so emotional it's so terrible you can see the trauma that they experience mm -hmm. um and to think that that trauma goes away like it passes on to us as the consumer and mm. uh you know yeah. it gets us gets those arteries clogged or yeah. whatever. <laughs> well, I just remember, with all the stress yeah, yeah. it's like a it's like a well-used kind of like 
vegan whatever argument or trope but it's true i think and i when i think about it every time i'm like yeah it makes total sense like if we can imagine like taking a super sharp knife and like hacking off the top of a fresh pineapple Hmm. and then like peeling the skin or whatever off the pineapple and then you know you're, you're holding on to it and there's like oh the juice is all over your hand and you're cutting it and you're cutting up into these fresh cubes and it's like the you got the pineapple juice and it's sticky on you and you eat it and it's so delicious because it's like fresh right amazing or like peeling a mango same thing mm-hmm. right dicing up strawberries whatever it is and then it like makes us like oh yeah like i kind of want like a tropical fruit salad right now like mm-hmm. it's so like it just makes you want to eat it mm-hmm. but the alternative if you think about like doing something like that to an animal most of us like our our stomachs turn and we like we we want to get that image out of our head and it is the furthest thing mm-hmm. from appetizing right we don't want to think about what we would have to do to an animal to like prepare it mm-hmm. to eat it the way that we do but like you think about fruit or vegetables and you're like oh yeah like chop me up it's some carrots. Yeah. it's <laughs> enticing right and so like that whole idea of like oh isn't it natural for us to want that i'm like well think about it this way like which one makes you want to eat and which one makes you want to like... And which one could you actually do? And which one could you do? Yeah. Most meat eaters couldn't do it themselves. Totally. And I know people who say, oh, I love meat. But like if it was up to me, if I had to like hunt or kill or slaughter and prepare, like I guess I just wouldn't eat meat. And I was like, yeah, along with like most of humanity Mm. for like all of history Mm -hmm. because it's super hard animals when they became more pastoral as like people like having them like agricultural and all this like they're worth more alive than they are in your stomach mm-hmm. so like you rarely ate them because it's like hugely labor intensive it's cost it's it doesn't make sense to kill an animal to eat it because mm-hmm. then it's gone versus mm-hmm. like grazing the land and the production of manure and all of the stuff that it would do in that kind of like small agrarian situation and how much we have to process an animal just to be able to digest it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to... It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's a disgusting process yeah. and no one wants to do that. Right. There are very few people who would get pleasure out of doing that. And for those that do, again, like the, then Maybe there's like, something wrong. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. No one, no one would want to do that. And going back to like the stress and the agony and terror of these animals, um... Like humans, when we're around other humans, I think that we can sense our emotions. I think if you're empathetic anyways, that you could sense what other people are feeling, the emotions. Um, And I would say that that's the same with non-human animals. If we open that empathy to other animals and we are around them, like that's probably why a lot of the footage that I've gotten, I feel like it's it's not communicating something. There's something missing. And I think it's because when you're in an environment like that, it's not just the, the sounds and the smells and the atmosphere. Um, you can feel mm. their agony. You mm. can feel their terror and their fear and their pain. And it, it's just, it's palpable. You can feel it. And when there's so many animals and they're suffering to that degree, it's inignorable. Mm. And I mean, that has to get passed on if people end up eating their bodies that those those feelings have to get passed on. But yeah, a lot of people don't they don't get the chance to, I guess, sense that not that it's pleasant. It's awful. 
You know, I've talked to professionals about PTSD that I've gotten just from like spending moments inside these places. It's just a glimpse compared to what's happening. It's just, it's never ending. It is constantly happening behind these closed doors to these animals. And it's a massive beast. Mm-hmm. Well, f- for those those listening that are, are connecting to this message and, and want to support what you're doing, uh, because I think sometimes to be an activist, one of the ways we can do that is to show up and support those that are, are on the line, on the front line doing that work, whether that's animal activism or protecting the environment, which is connected to an, animal mm-hmm. activism is to, to support the front of line people that are putting putting themselves on the line. So if, if people want to support yourself and the Excelsior 4, mm-hmm. um, what are some ways that uh, we can do so? Yeah, so I will, for people who are confused why it's called Excelsior 4, I should probably mention that as a result of that Meet the Victims action, I was the only one arrested and taken into custody at the end of that day. Um, they sort of singled me out and viewed me as the organizer of the whole thing allegedly um and then the hidden cameras were found in the barns and there was this whole sort of saga that happened with that farm and so they opened the police opened this huge investigation and as a result three other people were also charged so nick schaefer roy sasano and jeff regeer were also charged alongside me and i racked up a whole bunch of other charges as a result of that so now the four of us we are in trial three years later. It's finally here. We just finished pre-trial, and I wish I could say more. I didn't realize there would be a publication ban, but wow. after day one, the judge struck down a publication ban and said we're not allowed to talk about any of this because he realizes that this is a political case, and he doesn't want it becoming, what did he call it? Um, a political show trial is what he said. So we're struggling with that because we are political activists. If you yeah. don't want a political show trial, don't charge political activists because of course that's what we're going to do but anyways um so this june and july so in a few months now we will be in the bc supreme court um and face trial by jury and we're facing 21 indictable offenses so that's a combined 210 years in prison between the four of us and um yeah, we'll see what happens. This is all for just revealing what happens to animals killed needlessly for food. That's all it was. So yeah, there was no theft. There was no vandalism. No one was hurt. No one, frankly, even knew we were there. Um, But I guess that is just a threat enough in and of itself, the footage. Yeah, it's unreal. Even the the publication ban for Mm -hmm. for the trial, like kind of continues to show there's this like protection and the secrecy that you alluded to earlier about like what's going on there that even as this trial's coming out it's like we can't talk about it it's devastating because the animals are you know they're not voiceless but they're silenced Mm -hmm. and so much of what i do is is trying to like lift the veil on that and sort of amplify their voices as much as i possibly can and that's what we would go into the courtroom to do and any sort of media opportunities we get from this it's to sort of further this movement and fight for change for these animals and we're now being silenced and it's so frustrating <sighs> even i mean there's arguments in the courtroom about okay well are we are we talking about pigs are we putting the farmer on trial is that what this is about then um how much footage are we actually showing here and you know what is this really about um so yeah i don't know i just hope that going into trial 
we'll have the opportunity to do what we came there to do. And if we still have a publication ban during trial, I don't know, we're going to fight that. But it's difficult. I mean, the animals are up against this massive system. And now activists, you know, they're having to face the same system. And they're all working together. The industry, the police, our legal system. I mean, they're all working together. So it's difficult, but it just gives us like a small taste of what the animals endure. Even if there are legal repercussions for us, even if I do go to prison, you know, that's nothing compared to what those animals endure. Um, I have been in jail and, you know, when I was in that cell, I was thinking, I'm like, I can stand up, I I could stretch. I can move around, you know, it's not a big space, but it's enough. I feel, you know, relatively comfortable. It's a little cold, but it is nothing compared to what those animals endure. Pigs inside gestation crates, they couldn't even turn around or even look around. Yeah. So I, I don't know, it puts it into perspective and we would hope that if we do go to prison that that would further amplify this message and, you know, become a massive story. Um. And inspire a lot of people to like jump on board and push for change. Um, we do have a website, Excelsior4, so the number four, .org. And there's lots of ways on that website to help us take action. Um, so email, we have a, a draft email on our website of how to contact BC's Ministry of Agriculture to help put those cameras inside farms. Um, we also have a call to action on there that we want the BCSPCA to give up their enforcement of animal law. Um, enforcement on farms. We want the government to take that over. Um, Yeah, we have a GoFundMe on there for our legal fees. We're facing $300,000 of legal fees, and that's before any sort of legal fine. Um, So yeah, we're going into debt big time. Mm. But yeah, so if you want to donate, we have t-shirts that we're selling. All proceeds go towards our, our lawyers and yeah, I am grateful. We have an amazing team of lawyers. They're all vegan animal rights activists. Um, they've come from all over Canada, and they're helping us out a lot with this case. So they understand our goals. They understand exactly what we're trying to do in the courtroom. So we just really hope that, yeah, we get the opportunity to give these animals some form of justice. It's hard because even, like, I feel like I've given it might all you know for those pigs inside that farm I feel like okay what more could we have done other than just like open up all the doors open up all the cages let them out then what would happen I don't know but it still doesn't feel like enough you know all those animals that I met inside that I mean they're gone they're gone you know we didn't save them we we it's just so frustrating that we can do so much as activists sacrifice so much and you know, it's still this massive, massive, massive corporate machine that just doesn't stop. And, you know, we could keep rescuing animals out of these places, but it's just, it's not going to stop. Then what? Sanctuaries get overrun and that becomes a problem. But, yeah. It's a big system, but it's uh, it starts somewhere. And I think like uh, the famous quote, like, that's, uh, Change change starts with you know a group of a small mm. group of individuals that care. Um, if COVID's mm-hmm. ta- taught me anything, it's that change is possible and that we can oh, yeah. we can change in radical ways and we yeah. can change and 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 systems can change and, and movements can happen overnight mm-hmm. that can change the world. Um, mm-hmm. You know we've seen a lot of positive things happen in the last uh, a lot of civil issues have have. have you know, greatly changed the world in the last, you know, three years. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm hopeful. I'm an optimist that, you know, if, if there's people <laughs> like you out there in the world um, doing the work that you're doing, you know, dominoes can fall quickly. And when, uh, when, when they start to fall, you know, the world can change and mm-hmm. the ripple of a wave, you know, never ends. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, change, change can happen because we've, we've seen a lot of change take place in the last few years. And, you know, I think in many ways, like, uh, like we've, we've spoken on like animals, I think if, if we can find compassion and connection and empathy and, and, mm-hmm. um, the truth of, of the matter with animals, I think it would give us all hope for, for humanity because they truly are, mm-hmm. you know, the ones without a voice, um, in terms of, of representation or mm-hmm. our legal rights to their bodies and, and all of that. So if we can, if we can find compassion and, and, um, awareness and start to educate people, I think, uh, you know, we might be all right. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. And I hope so. It's people like yourself, Amy, that are, are making this all possible. So, yeah. You know, I'd love to do a little bit of random fire to, to wrap things up. And I just want to express, uh, exp- <laughs> before we get there, I just want to express my gratitude for, for the work you and, and the others are doing and, yeah. and, Likewise. and, and representing the animals and, and representing, you know, an, a planet Earth that, uh, you know, I'd want to be a part of. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. And for thank literally you. like taking, you know, your own rights, freedoms, civil liberties into places where they could be lost right mm-hmm. and i mean i think that that's that's huge lots of times you meet people who are like yeah i'm an activist like i said i made a facebook post or instagram <laughs> story yeah <laughs> right and it's like no 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 like this is true like you're you're living it in in a really profound way and so yeah just a, a huge expression of gratitude that you're um you're so brave to be able to do that and that like i think that it is people like you that really the systems begin to change on so for whatever it's worth just uh thank you thank you for the work that you're doing i appreciate you saying that um yeah it might sound like i'm talking very negatively and i think that's just you know reality has hit me face on with what's happening so it's hard not to just be so devastated constantly for me that gives me motivation Mm -hmm. that devastation the sort of reality of like this world is in shambles and we're all going down, you know, like we need to acknowledge that. Mm. Um, but I think it is important to hold on to hope. Um, there has been a lot, there's been so many circumstances where I feel like I just hate people and, but that's not true. Um, I don't hate people. I hate what we are capable of. I Mm. hate what we're doing to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but we are also the solution in this and, Maybe in my lifetime we won't get there, but um, I need to hold on to hope and I need to do everything I possibly can to try and change something because if not, I think I would just be depressed. Mm. And yeah. I think a lot of people get feel like, oh, I could never be an activist. I could never see that stuff. You know, it's too devastating to me. Um, I would challenge that and say that, you know, I'm devastated regardless. I think those people are devastated regardless. But if we're doing something to actually help and change something, I think that that gives us you know, that relieves some of that pain for me. Yeah. Well, even your, even your posture towards like, okay, I've been in, I've been in jail. If I have to go again, it's still not worse than Mm -hmm. like to me, I was like, Oh, that's such a, a reframe 
of like, my situation is still better. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's like, there's a strange level of like resilience and like hope baked Mm -hmm. into that, that it's like, no, even, even if this is something that happens to me, which obviously we don't want, but like recognizing that it's, it's still, it's still a better situation than like what you've seen and experienced and are advocating against, right? Is that we can't have this. And I recognize that every social justice movement has needed civil disobedience, has needed people to go to jail, has needed people to break the law in order for real tangible change to happen. And I think we are at that stage within animal rights um, where we're starting to see some of those shifts and some of those legal battles. And as much as I don't want to be the brunt of that, I don't want anyone to be the brunt of that, I do recognize that it's needed and it's necessary. Right. And it is those it is those moments where, you know, the general public will look at something and go, wait, like that person's in jail for that? Mm-hmm. Like th- those are moments where all of a sudden people start to wake up and go, wait, 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 wait. That, that seems too extreme for like what, what the crime, quote unquote, crime mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. or what action they took. Like facing 70 years in jail for recording inside mm-hmm. of a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. Like, that's absurd. I know, it's that's astounding. That's absurd. Like, maybe a $70 fine, maybe, <laughs> right? But like, so yeah. I think that, that when, when levels uh, um, of consequence are doled out in a way that is so, yeah. uh, like, contrary to like what actually went down, that's when people start to be like, wait, 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 what? Like, you think back to the to the civil rights movement and it was like people sitting at a lunch counter and getting beaten and yeah. you know assaulted and then dragged to jail and people were like wait mm-hmm. that seems like the response is too extreme yeah and those are the those are the conversations that get out without publication bans really mm-hmm. that start conversation on the broader sense so hopefully that's, that's not the hope. case <laughs> i mean like hopefully that's not the case but like that you would be yeah. put obviously in jail but like the fact that that's what you're facing Mm -hmm. like is worthy of the conversation enough for people to be like whoa that's crazy Mm -hmm. like that's crazy that's too big of a response for what happened and really like we need to be focusing on what was exposed Mm -hmm. and when we look at violent crimes people who are out there intentionally doing terrible things hurting people harming people and what their consequences are in comparison it's pretty astounding to me even sitting in the courtroom, I was thinking, I'm like, what is the judge actually thinking right now? Yeah. Like, does he genuinely think that we are bad people who did a bad thing? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. But my, I would be shocked if he did think that we're bad people. I also understand that judges view things a little bit different, perhaps, but... Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird to me. I'm constantly, like, shaking my head, like, am I in a movie right yeah. now? Is this real? Yeah. And I think the system, they try very hard to scare activists. I think coming down really hard on us is sort of a method to, I don't know, prevent this from happening again. Prevent other people from feeling inspired to step up and do something similar, even if we are in jail. Right. But the reality is that that won't happen. This will just outrage activists even more and hopefully inspire more people to step up and do what's necessary. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like the line on your website. I think it just makes it so apparent. Don't obey laws that allow mass murder. Yeah. Yeah. It's as easy as that. Easy as that. Yeah. What, what side is right? What side is wrong? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the side that is complicit to the mass murder is likely the wrong side. Mm-hmm. 
and I think most people, if you asked, you know, a hundred people on the street, you know, what's what, what side's right, what side's wrong, I think most people can see whoever's creating committing the mass murders is the wrong side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're seeing lots of movements, and I'm I'm hopeful that um, we'll start to connect the dots. Like we're seeing, you know, environmental movements, we're seeing animal rights movements. And they're all connected, you know, like mm-hmm. animal agriculture is, is deeply connected to in, the environmental issues that we're seeing with climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the farm, the farming system is is one of the biggest contributors to, to greenhouse gases and climate change. So hopefully, you know, we can start to connect these dots yeah. um, because at the end of the day, it will be it'll be us as mm-hmm. humans that um, ultimately suffer if we're not able to. Yeah to connect these pieces and start to make some systemic changes in how we live our lives. So, And I think a lot of people, you know, they hear stuff like this and they're like, oh gosh, I can't participate in that. I need to buy free range. I need to buy grass fed. Oh yeah. And um, some euphemisms. Yeah. Start moving towards those choices, which I think is a step. Like there's some, you know, shifts happening, which is good, but we need to recognize that that's not better. There's still animals who are suffering and dying for no good reason. And ultimately, when we look at the amount of animals that we are killing to be consumed each year now, globally, there isn't enough possible land on this earth to facilitate every person consuming, let's say, grass-fed beef. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. And that is actually more destructive to our planet than factory farms and uh, feedlots and what we have now, which is obviously atrocious to animals. But... There, there is no good way of doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. We just yeah, need to recognize scary. that this is this is unnecessary, needless violence, and it needs to stop. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like that. That comes back to what we were talking about earlier, like the advertising campaign, like oh, the grass-fed cow is like mm. this happy thing, but like isn't that? I've heard somewhere, and you can correct me. You probably know this. There's only like one or two slaughterhouses like in the Lower Mainland area, so like it doesn't matter whether it's like. Oh yeah, they all go farm. to the same place. They go to the same place, mm-hmm. so you can. You're like, oh, I feel good. It's like somehow it's it's better, mm-hmm. but it's like no, the experience of that being, sure, like maybe for their for their life was like grass fed, and even the details of that can be argued on like what was that actually like? Is it them grazing <laughs> in a beautiful field somewhere? Most likely and not. And for how long? And for how long? Yeah. yeah. Versus just being like fed this stuff and then sent off and having that same mm-hmm. horrific experience. Yeah, like I think for grass-fed cows, I think there's like the last month of their life before slaughter, they're put out onto a field. And same with free-range eggs. I think those chickens are, there's a matter of only a few hours a day for a few months of the year are the chickens allowed to go outside in this tiny little enclosure. Thousands of chickens, so they're still crammed in, but they're outside in grass and then, okay, they're all ushered back into this warehouse for the rest of their life. <laughs> there's, it's no better. Yeah. It's no better. But they'll charge more money for those. But ones. they'll charge more money, and it eases consumers' minds. And it makes yeah. us feel better for our choices. But we just need to move on. Yeah, yeah. There's plant-based alternatives now. Not that that even matters. We should just eat plants regardless. But given that it's just so accessible now, there's yeah. so many options. There's just no excuse. Can can we talk about climate change for a few minutes before we wrap of it course. up? Too? Yeah, because I think that's like we're in the crux right now. Like every every time I go on Twitter or look at the news, there's like a new announcement mm-hmm. that like you know we're past the twelfth hour. Or we need to make changes now, and um, you know we see a lot of focus on other aspects that are contributing to climate change. But mm-hmm. 
uh, like at COP26, there wasn't a lot of inclusion of, of animal agriculture. It was more focused on uh, fossil fuels and and um, other contributors to, to climate change. Um, so can you maybe just like highlight how animal agriculture and, and participating in in that uh, contributes to, to climate change? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the facts. It's not right in front of me, but definitely when we look at deforestation, you know, the use of land and greenhouse gas emissions, ocean dead zones, you know, practically everything, every major way that we destroy this planet, the number one or like way up there is animal agriculture. And when we really think about it, the billions of animals that we breed into this world raise for a short amount of time and then kill over and over and over again, of course it's destroying the planet. It just makes sense. There's far more animals, farmed animals in this world than there are humans. And so if we just consider that there is obviously a major impact there, uh, we need to stop. And I think it was, oh, I don't remember what scientist this was, but um, smart dude, I'm sure you could look it up. Um, he was saying that there is no path to, you know, stopping climate change or achieving the levels that we need to by our deadlines without everyone going plant-based and with wow. destroying animal agriculture. Well, that should be a wake-up call. You know, it's truly the least that we can do right now. And not only that, we need to encourage and demand from our government that this stops. And I think at um, that conference that you were talking about, Animal Rebellion, I think it was Animal Rebellion who showed up and they did disruptions. They did banner drops on the buildings outside. They they made sure that the issue of animal farming and animal agriculture is an issue that's on the table and being discussed because unfortunately there is this weird bias and it's just not being acknowledged by our government and it's not being adequately addressed. This is an urgent issue that needs to be handled ASAP mm. and it's not. And I think these leaders and these government officials are they're all saying if you look at sort of their arguments they all address animal agriculture in like these little ways but it's like oh by the year 2050 we're going to have you know phase out gasoline cars and yeah. have you know whatever uh, that's not enough that's not enough and i think it encourages people to be like oh, okay they're addressing climate change they're doing something positive but it's not enough yeah and there's no accountability for the current the current government to say oh no. we'll take care of it in 2050 it's like no, you won't. Like, no. what are you talking about? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And what does that mean yeah. exactly? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh, scary. It's a scary reality that we're all living in right now. Um, this is why I think being an activist is like the most important thing that everyone needs to be focusing on. Yeah. What What is more important than right. like having clean water to drink? And I mean, we saw the Abbotsford floods just, you know, not that long ago. Okay, yeah. That is devastating. It is devastating that an entire city was underwater. People lost their homes, their livelihoods, everything. That was, is so scary. I was just thinking about that because one of the things that I think is important in being an activist is being an educator. Mm -hmm. And I remember it in the middle of those floods that we had had, uh, CBC Radio was interviewing a farmer saved his cows well he was trying to save his cows <gasps> and lost a great number of them mm -hmm. and i mean there's there's kind of two things that were going on there but the one that is i found most interesting well there it, i guess both of them expose kind of like uh, the deeply ironic reality of these systems is he was he was deeply upset because so many of his cows were killed 
because yeah. they got like washed away or lost or whatever. And it wasn't just like, oh no, I lost all this potential money. He was like upset at the loss of life, which I found very interesting. Because if it was that's like genuine. If it's it is genuine. his livelihood as well. It is his livelihood, so it's tied. So that there's that one piece yeah. where he was it, it like it felt like it wasn't just an economic loss. Like he felt like, no, like these, mm-hmm. you know, these were our animals and da da da. But the other thing that he said was and knowing fully that he was participating in this industrial kind of agricultural system we've created, he's mm-hmm. like, I just don't understand. Like, we need to do something about this so that this type of flooding and stuff doesn't happen again. Because it sounds like, you know, it, we're going to have more of these floods and really hot summers like we had just had and more flooding and we need to do something about this. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> yes. Right. But it's it's like, I feel, and again, I, I mean, it was just listening to his interview. I feel like it was genuine. Mm-hmm. And it just could not make the connection that was literally right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And so that's where like that activism and that education piece I think is so important so people can be like okay well yes we do yeah. need to stop this and like part of stopping all of the crazy weather systems and, and climate change that we're experiencing is like reducing animal agriculture. There is sort of like this cognitive dissonance though where I've talked with a lot of farmers a lot of farmers who genuinely will argue me on the point that their industry is not environmentally destructive. They do not it doesn't make sense in my brain at all, but they are fully convinced that they are causing no harm and yeah. that they are in fact, you know, helping this earth. Um, so I don't know. I think folks like him will probably, I don't know, latch onto things like don't drive cars anymore yeah. and, you know, conserve your water usage and focus on fossil fuels. And they'll probably argue the government on that stuff, which perhaps it all needs to be addressed. But I don't know. I also do find it interesting that a lot of farmers did lose, I don't want to say their animals, but essentially their animals. Um, And it was devastating for them. And I do think that that probably is genuine because they aren't the ones that kill the animals. Or they send them off, right? And I think that I hear this a lot where it's like over COVID, especially too, there was a lot of slaughterhouses, especially in BC, that got shut down due to COVID outbreaks. Right. And so farmers themselves had to kill the animals. And that was the first time that they've really had to do this sort of mass slaughter of otherwise, uh, I don't want to say healthy animals, but okay animals. Right. And farmers don't have to typically do that. And just like we talked about with the slaughterhouse workers, like that's a very, very traumatic thing to do. And I do think that farmers sort of sometimes build this bond or think that they are, you know, these animal caretakers Um, so I could see why that's so devastating. And we did hear about all those stories where like these dairy farmers are saving these two cows and oh my gosh, they're heroes. But what happens to those cows afterwards? Most of them went to the auction. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't saved. They didn't go to a sanctuary, unfortunately. Yeah. And yeah, we were in the thick of it. Um, Nick and Jeff, two of the Excelsior Ford, they were out there in canoes with their camera gear and they're like getting footage of what's happening in these farms and it is just the unfortunate reality and consequence of animal farming and thus climate change if we don't take care of it mother nature will yeah yeah that's the truth that's the truth i feel like i'm being so negative (laughs) well I, i think it's important 
I, I think one of the we're all I, gonna die. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean that is the truth as well. But I, I think the the necessary step into towards making change is education, and mm-hmm. and education like you're talking about getting uncomfortable. Education is not always comfortable because mm-hmm. it like challenges our comforts. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know we have a lot of um, like speaking, you know, personally, like we have a lot of I I have a lot of privilege, so like to make change sometimes you have to give up some of that privilege mm-hmm. and um uh when i say i we can project that out to to you know most of vancouver and, and most mm-hmm. of canada uh not everybody shares the same privilege that you know we do at this table but mm-hmm. i think if you have privilege um you've got opportunity to to learn and to, mm-hmm. to use it to do something meaningful and yeah. something impactful that will hopefully allow future generations to enjoy their their time on on earth yeah because um, we are going in a a uh you know not the best direction as a mm-hmm. as a human society and uh to be naive to that would be detrimental to our existence so yeah. mm-hmm. i think it, it takes conversation that might make us uncomfortable and it takes uh being honest with each other um mm-hmm. to to try to get somewhere where we we can be you know, more optimistic and, yeah. and uh, you know, create a better existence for for ourselves and for those we share share the planet with. So, I, I mean, yeah. even if, if you feel like you're being <laughs> negative, I think it's out of necessity and out of truth and, and not out of trying to hurt anyone's feelings. Or <laughs> yeah. like that. I'm just yeah. very passionate and I do yes. see this as like such an urgent situation that mm-hmm. we are capable of changing. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're not doomed quite yet we can change this, we can turn this around, but it's going to take us all working really hard and together. Yeah. So I think that's why when earlier we're talking about, okay, so how, to, how can people sort of gently get involved in activism? Like, no, yeah. <laughs> jump right Just in. Just get in. Yeah. Because it's going to be uncomfortable regardless and it's necessary. Yeah. And we're not necessarily afforded the time to just like no. wade into it slowly. Like, no. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good reminder. That's a good reminder. Like some of these things are uh time sensitive mm-hmm. right like and and it is our collective present and future that we're that's at stake mm-hmm. and so like if if you give a damn like it's probably time to to do something about it yeah yeah well maybe we can i know we brought up some <laughs> random fire we kind of went we kind of went random a little bit. we always do we always do we're fluid in our conversation that's Who knows right where it's that's gonna right. go um, I thought we could ask just a few questions and then we can okay. can wrap it up. And I hope this is the first of many conversations that we share. And, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so to, someone, uh. someone's listening to this and they're all riled up and they want to be an activist, mm-hmm. but they want to learn more. They want to further educate themselves. Mm-hmm. What are a couple of resources that you'd like to give shout outs to that um, might help people on their own journey? Um, well, always feel free to reach out to me. Um, I do have a few talks and workshops that I have filmed and put up online. So those are free and available to anyone who's interested. Um, And I can absolutely help like plug anyone into their local areas. Um, Look up different organizations and groups, the Animal Save Movement, Direct Action Everywhere. Um, Who else? Meet the Victims, of course. I mean, there's lots of different groups. And if there isn't a group, don't be scared to start your own. Um, as I said, I think activism in and of itself, it's not just following, but it's taking initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, so Start just consider, you know, what, what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? Is there, you know, a rodeo in your area that you're like really riled up about? Okay, we'll focus on that. Um, look up 
pressure campaigns. Go on YouTube, search pressure campaigns, how to start a pressure campaign. Just start making notes and writing it down and yeah, it'll take you somewhere. Right. Can you define pressure campaign just for, for anybody that, that, that terminology is new to? Sure. So it's utilizing, um, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. It's utilizing lots of different tactics. So um, let's say street outreach, protests, um, direct action, civil disobedience, campaigning, lobbying, petitions, you know, tons and tons of different tactics and increasing intensity as you go along. So you set a goal, let's say I want to shut down this rodeo. Okay, well, what are the steps to get there? Who is in charge of that? Who funds that? Um, who are the people involved? Where do they come from? You know, do tons of research and start setting little goals. Do we want to just do little protests outside, send a couple emails? Did they respond to that? Did they not? If they didn't, okay, well, how do we up, up that a little bit? And let's just keep increasing the pressure strategically and nonviolently and until your goal is achieved and to not stop until your goal is achieved because I think that often when um, our opposition sees us constantly give up and not have these wins then they don't take us seriously then they do see the next protest and the next you know email campaign and they're just like oh whatever they'll eventually go away keep the pressure on until you win and then move on to the next thing that's good sounds like it's better with friends too Oh, yeah, Get some some friends around you and work together. And you know what? That will grow. As soon as people around you see you winning and see you achieve these big, exciting goals, they want to be a part of that. Everyone wants to be on the winning team. Right. So it'll come. People will come. Cool. Yeah, that's good. Are there any uh, activists or organizations doing doing good things that you'd like to give shout outs to? Um, I think every activist is doing good things. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. Um, you mentioned Meet the Victims, uh, you are a co-founder of uh, Banford Farms, um, are there yeah. some other ones that are doing, are some, maybe some uh, animal sanctuaries if, if people are like, I'd like to go to a zoo with my children, <laughs> maybe I could go to maybe animal go to a sanctuary. sanctuary instead. Are there some sanctuaries that uh, we, can, we can highlight? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's lots all over Rasta, Home for Hooves, um, Twin Hearts. There's so many across BC. I would suggest going to Peace, the website. So that's an acronym. Uh, I don't know what it is. People for... We can put it in the show notes. Something. Um, but yeah, if you search Peace Animal Sanctuaries, it'll pop up. So that's sort of like a hub for all animal sanctuaries in the area. And I think maybe across Canada now, um, they do amazing work um, to help sort of find homes for animals in need um, across BC and so they have sort of like this yeah area where you can go find all of the animal sanctuaries in BC Um, definitely support them animal rebellion love them direct action everywhere also known as DXC love them as well Um, yeah I'm just really inspired by lots of people who just are very very strategic I think for a long time animal rights as I said, was kind of just like this popcorn activism and we just like go out and have some conversations and have fun. Um, But I'm seeing the shift within animal rights where people are starting to get a lot more strategic and it's exciting because we're seeing some real shifts happening. Um, I think within California, they just like, they've almost effectively banned factory farming. Like they're working on legislation right now that is being passed and they banned fur and you know they've done amazing amazing things down there and that's mostly direct action everywhere um 
so yeah, I'm just so inspired by that. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a big, that's a big, like, uh, sets the course for a lot of other places, right? Mm-hmm. People look and say, Oh, like California did it. Okay. Like maybe we can do it too. Right. It makes it, makes it possible. All the trends in California. It's true. <laughs> it's not just a good place to visit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting and inspiring. Yeah. And then we can point to that and say, Hey, look, you know, you wouldn't be the first to pass this. It's yeah. already been passed before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's mm-hmm. very good. Uh, peace, peacecanada.org. Okay, there you go. People ensuring animal care exists. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes, yeah, that kind of people. Good. So check it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good one to check out for sure. Do you, know, you got any other uh, random rapid, <sighs> random ran- rounds before we wrap it up? Ah, <laughs> oh, I think no. I I mean we can we can rant, we can land it. I feel like this this was a really really insightful and important conversation, and uh, yeah, definitely like it's heavy but i think mm-hmm. it's heavy because it's important but because it's important i feel energized like i okay, i feel good. i hope that it translates too for like the listener but i feel like enthusiastic and energized and like you know you have this kind of infectious hope that even as you're facing like you know not great things in terms of this this court um battle before you and your 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 three uh friends as well but um there's this like hopefulness that you have that you embody and it is like uh, I feel it. It's good. that shared energy, good. right? Yeah, that we were glad, talking yeah. about. I second that. I feel it too. Yeah. Okay, I think good. listening to you and being in company with you, it just kind of furthers my enthusiasm to for for what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. For our own values and and uh, it just uh, you know reaffirms the things that I hope for in the world and, and want to be a part good. of. So. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Sometimes it can go the other way. I'm like, no, <laughs> I just want to like, it's yeah. too much and everything is awful. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not the vibe. Yeah. Not the vibe okay, at all. Good. Yeah. good. I'm glad. Cool. So we always ask our, our guests, um, you know, this, this last question and we named our podcast a little more good mm-hmm. because that's what we wanted to create in the world. Uh, every day, you know, it's something that we both live into is how can we be, how can we be a little better, a little more good or create that around us. And I mean, there's a multitude of ways that we can do that, but we'd like to ask, you know, the people that we share conversation is what does that mean to you to do or to be or create a little more good? Hmm loaded question well maybe this is obvious but I think that's um just taking action like when we see that something's wrong stepping in to do something don't turn a blind eye don't feel like you aren't responsible or that you can't do anything to help or change that but stepping in and giving it your all um I think that too often in our world we do sort of oh someone else will deal with that you know there's other activists who are dealing with that there's other people who are taking that on um but I think we need to instead feel empowered and motivated ourselves to step in that we are capable of making change. We can all do that. Mm. Um, it's not this this thing that is unachievable. We can do that and sort of step into that empowerment. And yeah, do a little more good. I love it. <laughs> so good. The true activist. Don't yeah. look away. Get involved. Yeah. So good. So good. I love it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Amy. Um, I think you're doing a lot more good, not yeah. just a little. So yeah. grateful for you and, and those that work with you. And, um, you know, we'll be following along. And and uh, I know um, 
the change that you're you're making is 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 global and is important and uh, thank yeah, you i thank you for it yeah yeah no thank you so much i feel very grateful to be asked to come speak and for you to be open to this conversation i know not everyone is so thank yeah. you awesome thanks okay Oof. there it is Amy Serrano, wow. It's kind of sobering, right? When you think the the potential jail time and, you know, really disrupting her life, but the outlook she has of like, you know, it would still be a better existence than that of like these animals. It's, yeah. Willing to sacrifice what we define as our freedom in service of, of other. Yeah, yeah. So very, very uh, impressive, inspiring person who is just like, yeah, aligned with the values and purpose she has, you know, and the actions she takes in this world to to live that out. Yeah, powerful for sure. There we go. So make sure you're following Amy Serrano on the old IG. Mm-hmm. Follow Excelsior4.com yep. to, to get all the updates. Um, our good friend Zoe Pled is also sharing lots of uh, updates, so give her a follow as well. That's right. And uh, hopefully this makes some headlines, and uh, you know they don't face any any jail time, and their actions are able to move the needle for for the animals. Because ultimately, you know the the greatest victim in this conversation is is those animals, those individuals that mm. are are suffering every, every single day. And, and what we call factory farms and farms and you know our, our modern modern agricultural system so hopefully this can bring awareness and and change the narrative and get more people aligned with you know taking care of the animals that uh, share this world with us that's right that's right so yeah thank you uh amy for the work that you're doing and thank you listener for hanging with us for um following liking sharing all of that stuff we appreciate it all uh if you haven't yet please take a moment subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it leave a review or like it that helps us out a ton um and yeah just really really uh appreciate all the support that we get from you so stay good see y'all next week peace Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.